Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, thank you. I was going to say good morning, but it's not morning for everybody that listens because I know you listen later in the day or download the podcast a couple days from now. So whenever you're listening, we thank you for tuning in, and really we appreciate you sharing the podcast. we got a really good guest today, another one, and a really fascinating book called Airborne at the End of the Earth and how God's Word is reaching the most isolated people on the planet, and he's using airplanes to do it. And uh, Nate Gordon is with us. Um, I'm going to talk about the IRS a little bit at the end of the podcast. We uh, talked a little bit about it on Tuesday and how they're doubling, more than doubling the size and power and scope of the IRS. And, and I don't know, uh, it's concerning to say the least. So we'll share a few more details that we didn't get to share on Tuesday because more news has come out on what their plans are. Um, also, I want to encourage you guys to... Uh, ch- oh, there's some good news. A great story um, out of a church in California who won a case and uh, they were dealing with the COVID shutdowns and uh, the Emperor Newsom in California. Well, there's a good result on that for the church and religious freedom. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. And also want to just encourage you to go to StandUpForTheTruth.com. We've got a fantastic uh, blog with all the Stand Up For The Truth guests. Their names are linked, and you can go to their recent podcasts and hear so many uh, pastors and religious leaders and um, just culture warriors and a lot of people that have been on the podcast through the years. So check that out at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And now I want to bring in Nate Gordon. And uh, he's an aviator and inventor and an author. He and his wife, Sherry Gordon, lived and worked in Indonesia for 22 years. And they served on a team of missionary aviators, reaching some of the most isolated people on the planet. And Nate currently leads a team at JARS Incorporated, J-A-A-R-S. And they're developing software that's used by missionary pilots around the world. And they're a team of problem solvers committed to the belief that people's lives and communities are transformed as they experience God's Word in their own language. Nate is the author of the book that I have in my hand right here, Airborne at the End of the Earth. Nate Gordon, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Thanks, Dave. Really appreciate uh, you having me on today. Well, I heard about your book, and it sounded fascinating. I know we just missed you because you were in Oshkosh, I think, a few weeks ago. And uh, just briefly, uh, how did that go? You were in uh, Wisconsin, and I know you're from North Carolina. And just share a little bit about uh, what you were doing up here in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, we were uh, at the EAA AirVenture event there at at Oshkosh. Uh, We make that trek uh, annually, and uh, it's an opportunity for uh, JARS to connect uh, with the aviation public primarily. Um, to share our vision that you've just you've just shared there articulated really well that um, you know that that everyone has the right uh, to God's word in their own language mm-hmm. and uh, we're not just committed to, to doing that but to the ultimate goal that uh, people's lives would be transformed as they encounter God in in His Word in their own language and so there's about 1,700 language groups. Uh, left in the world today that do not have any scripture in them. And if you're a people group without God's word in your language, uh, the chances that you live in a, a remote and difficult place are pretty high. Hmm. And some of those places are so remote and so difficult that the only access um, to these people groups is only reasonable access anyway is, is aviation using light aircraft, uh, helicopters, and, and fixed-wing aircraft. And so um, it's, EAA, the Oshkosh event, is a fantastic opportunity to just connect with uh, aviation. You know, people who are passionate about aviation, they walk up and they see our aircraft, and they well, what do you do? And then uh, we have the opportunity to tell them, well, you know, we use these airplanes to reach 
wow. you know, those 1,700 people groups that are still waiting for God's Word in their own language. And uh, tremendous conversations, and uh, it's a recruiting uh, tool for us, but uh, also just raises awareness of uh, the need um, for Bible translation in these remote areas and uh, the key part that uh, aviation plays in that. Well, I like uh, in your book, Airborne at the End of the Earth, um, so many great quotes that you start off chapters with. And by the way, I also like the style um, that there are very, very short chapters, and there are 71 of them, but they're very short. And and these are stories that you've experienced and things that you've learned throughout the years of doing this. Before we get to your book more in depth, and I also want to talk a little bit about uh, Jim Elliott, the American missionary, who I'm I'm guessing inspired you to some degree. Tell us a little bit about you being an inventor. What uh, what is that about? Well, I, that's probably too grandiose a term. Somebody else wrote that. <laughs> I, I am a, I, basically that probably comes from the fact that uh, I had a software development background uh, before um, training to become uh, a pilot, um, and so when uh, the iPad came along, um, you know, a lot of us recognized what a phenomenal tool this was and what a game changer it was in aviation in the sense that now you had a basically a fully functional, highly capable computer mm. um, in the tablet format that could be in your cockpit. And so there's so many of the processes that uh, we might have used to do on paper could now be done on computer, basically just making the uh, the pilot's job easier and safer. And for missionary pilots, you're operating in the in the most challenging flight environments on the planet. I can imagine any anything we can do to offload that pilot and give him more um, brain space available to pay attention to the the important things, the risks in the environment around him. Um, was what we wanted to do. And so we started uh, an app called FlightSpan, um, started developing that while I was still in Indonesia. Um, and God is really blessed. And so that, that app now um, is a full software suite uh, that uh, we're using to help missionary aviation flight programs manage their entire uh, flight operations. And so it's in um, the cockpits of missionary uh, aircraft all over the world and about probably about 10,000 flights a year. We're still wow. in startup mode. We we're only serving four organizations right now, and we're uh, hoping to more than double that in the next year and then just continue to expand um, as we build the team and we build, build capacity. Wow, it's an amazing uh, story, Nate, and, and what you do and what uh, men like you do with your experience uh, being a pilot. And, and it's fascinating that you also have some technical technical background that you can help uh, missionaries and pilots. Um, and we're going to talk about the dangers that uh, you've faced and you know some of the challenging times flying. Reading one, I don't remember what chapter it was in, but uh, you were talking about some of the physical things you go through and, and pigs getting loose on the plane and different things. You having having the feeling like you have the runs or something. I mean, gosh, and you're up there in this little plane that's probably not the most stable. We'll talk about that in a minute, and I I do want to jump to uh, a chapter in your book. Um, what they didn't teach me in flight school. But before we do that, one more question. Tell us about JARS, J-A-A-R-S, and uh, how can people find out more information about JARS? Yeah, well, JARS was founded by the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, okay, Cameron Townsend. Okay. He's uh, widely considered to be the father of the modern Bible translation movement. Um and uh, he recognized um, in their early work in Central and South America that uh, what he was asking young missionary families to do to travel to incredibly remote uh, locations um, on canoe, over land, uh, was, was putting them at, at a fair amount of risk and really um, reducing the, their capability of actually living and working and um, and getting Bible translation done just because the um, the process of accessing these remote places was so challenging and so difficult, and um, and so he he was a just a visionary man, and he saw the potential 
for using light aircraft um, to just make this possible. And so he founded JARS as a um, sister organization to Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, and at the time, it stood for Jungle Aviation and Radio Service because we provided aviation. And then, of course, the communications uh, infrastructure using um, radios. Um, and uh, it is now just called JARS uh, because we do a whole lot more than just uh, aviation and radio, as is I mentioned we're doing software development and we do land transportation and maritime uh, transportation for missionaries across the world. Mm, wow. You can find us at, at jars.org. That's J-A-A-R-S.org. And we will have that information linked up in the podcast, as we always do for our guests, at standupforthetruth.com. We'll have uh, Nate's information, also jars, and the link to the book, Airborne at the End of the Earth. Um there was one more question I think I wanted to ask you before we dive into the book, Nate. So I lied earlier. I said we'd get to it a little bit sooner. But um, you were in Indonesia for 22 years. Uh, when I go to, I believe it's the JARS website, um, there's a picture of you in a little little bio. There's a picture of you saying goodbye to some friends there at the airport before returning to the U.S. I'm guessing that was right before you came back to North Carolina. Tell us, that must have been hard since you were there for 22 years. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, you know, there's a huge part of uh, my wife, Sherry, and I that that is still in Papua, Indonesia. Um, it really was like our life, our passion, our ministry for 20-plus years. And uh, to have... Um, had a front row seat to watching what God was doing in, in so many remote people groups lives it was such a privilege. And, um, it, it was, it was the kind of thing that we thought we would be there till we were old and gray. I guess I'm already kind of old and gray, but till <laughs> we were older and grayer <laughs> that, um, and, and yet circumstances in our lives, uh, change in, in terms of, uh, needs for our, our, uh, our son and our, our parents and so forth that we felt we needed to be in the States for a period. Um, and so it was, it was really, really heartrending to leave. Um, we're, you know, we're privileged in this day and age to be able to stay in contact with so many of the folks over there. That's um, neat. and so that's, that keeps us a vital connection. And then, of course, our work with the software. Uh, we're providing that software for the teams operating right back, flying those very same airplanes that I flew. So we're in constant contact with them. And so there's a real vital connection that remains to the ministry there. Okay. Nate Gordon is our guest today. The book is called Airborne at the End of the Earth. And before we jump into the early part of the book, I'm going to jump right all the way into Chapter 25. And there's a quote from Wilbur Wright from 1901. He says, if you're looking for perfect safety, you will do well to sit on a fence and watch the birds. But if you really wish to learn, you must mount a machine and become acquainted with its tricks by actual trial. And, of course, the Wright brothers uh, really got the world going when it comes to flight. Um, so, Nate, tell us a little bit about going into this and your whatever age you were. I know your father was a missionary. And what made you decide knowing that there's some real dangers flying these small planes? So tell us a little bit about that and when you were able to come to that decision and say, you know what, I'm going to take this risk. I believe God put this calling on my heart. Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a very uh, remote part of uh, the country of Nepal, actually. My parents were Bible translators. Uh, you mentioned that. And our only access, or I shouldn't say that, uh, our primary access to that uh, area was um, through aviation, and actually it was JARS aircraft that were flying us in and out. So I had exposure mm. to missionary aviation at a very young age. Wow. And, of course, I had exposure to Bible translation, and uh, both of my parents were linguists. And I, I just I could see their ministry and, the, and how transformative it was, and yet also recognize that God didn't cut me out to do that. Um, <laughs> and yet so aviation provided an opportunity to be involved in Bible translation, but with the gifts that, that God had actually placed in me that were more technical and, you know, get my hands dirty, um, kind of, kind of gifting. 
And so, um, yeah, I, I went uh, to Moody Aviation. That's part of the Moody Bible Institute. And uh, that's really what that, that chapter is. It's a bit of tongue-in-cheek of kind of, um, you know, praising them. for they, they, they really are the premier missionary aviation uh, flight school in the world. And they did a fantastic job of, of prepping us missionary pilots to serve in remote areas. But once you get over there, it just is such a different world that there's, there's so many new things that you continue to learn and so many things that you just can't prepare for. Um, like, like you mentioned, pig induced turbulence when a, when a pig <laughs> that's tied down in the back of the airplane starts, uh, you know, trying to get loose, it, it'll, it'll shake the entire aircraft. And wow. the first time it happened to me, my, my engine instruments were vibrating. I could hardly read them. And I was convinced that uh, the airplane was about to come apart in midair. Wow. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff in that, in that chapter. It's actually originally published in uh, the Air and Space magazine from Smithsonian. Um, and uh, people have enjoyed it because there's a fair bit of, of, of humor in there as well. Well, Nate, can, think, can, you please, can you please tell us what uh, pigs were doing in the plane, in a small plane to begin with? Okay. Well, in, <laughs> in Papua... Um, you know, one of the things, our primary reason for being there, as I've mentioned, is to support the Bible translation mm-hmm. movement. But we're also the only access that these remote people group have to the things that you and I take for granted. Education. Uh, there's the only access for their kids to get an education is to fly out on an airplane to a government center where the kids can go to school. Um, to healthcare. Um, we're doing, when I left, we're doing 33 medevacs a month. It's, it's the only access these remote tribal groups have wow. to healthcare is through an aircraft. And then to markets. Um, you know, you're, you're living in, in a, coming right out of the Stone Age um, for many of these people groups. And so they're living at a subsistence level, and yet they have the skills to produce cash crops, but without an aircraft, they don't have access. To markets hmm. and so uh, actually so we flew a lot of peanuts and coffee um, for the people just as they're they're developing and, and entering into the modern world um, and the modern economy well pigs were actually the most valuable quote cash crop that they had and so it was a delight actually to um, you know there, there are times when if you'd caught me at the wrong moment I wouldn't have used the word delight uh, <laughs> when a pig was trying to take a chunk out of me um, but we would fly live pigs um, for the people to market, and that sounds kind of odd, but it, it was a, you just felt like you were being God's hands and feet mm. to some of the least of these by putting their dirty pigs in your nice, clean airplane mm. and flying them out to market so that they would be not dependent on outsiders, but could begin to provide for themselves and pay their own kids' school fees, pay for their own medical care, um, purchase the things that you and I take for granted, you know, pots and pans and soap and clothing, all those things, um, because they were growing and overproducing uh, in their agrarian economies and then able to get, and we used the airplane to be able to get their products out to market. So that's what the pigs were doing in our airplane. Uh, <laughs> the, the pigs were generally not super happy uh, about taking the flight and uh, they would they would make their presence known and I don't know if you've ever heard a pig scream at the top of its lungs but uh, oh my goodness it's uh, it's pretty distracting and I've, I've gone back to Moody and said that, that you know we use flight simulators now for a lot of your training and I said we need a screaming pig simulator and a screaming <laughs> baby simulator because uh, you need to be able to perform the safety critical functions of your task with uh, three or four babies in the back screaming at the top of their lungs or a pig uh, shaking the airplane uh, as he attempts to get loose from his binds. Wow. Well, so we have a minute left, Nate, about what's the average size of these aircraft? How many seats and how much space? Yeah, we can carry between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds. The aircraft are quite capable these days, usually nine to 10 passengers. Uh, on them, and they're generally easily configurable between uh, passenger configurations and cargo configurations. So you can quickly remove seats, load it up with cargo, get to your next stop, okay. offload the cargo, put the seats back in. Okay, uh, interesting, man. The book. We're going to get into it even more when we come back with Nate Gordon, 
And it's called Airborne at the End of the Earth, God's Word Reaching the Most Isolated People on the Planet. We'll ask him about Jim Elliott and more when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today is Nate Gordon, and the book is called Airborne at the End of the Earth. It'll keep you reading and encourage as you go through there and just uh, really not just entertain, but really inspired to to really make your life count doing something of eternal value as uh you hear all kinds of different stories and experiences that Nate went through. But I want to ask you now, uh, Nate, about Jim Elliott. Of course, for people that want to be reminded, uh, he was an American Christian missionary, and he was one of five people killed during what was called Operation Auca, and that was an attempt to evangelize people in Ecuador, similar people that you have reached through the years, Nate. And I love a couple of his quotes, and I'll let you share a little bit about being inspired by Jim Elliott. He once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he also says, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. So I know you uh, knew of uh, Jim Elliott and you were inspired by him. He, uh, of course, was um, m- martyred in 1956. So just share a little bit about how that played into any decision making in this career path for you as a missionary. Sure. Uh, you know, I... Uh as a young person, read through Gates of Splendor, written by Elizabeth Elliott, um, his, his widow. And uh, the story, of course, just um, thoroughly inspired me. And God used it as part of um, how he changed the tra- trajectory of my life uh, towards being involved uh, in missions and in mission aviation in particular. And, um, of course, the pilot... Um, that took them into uh, the Alka territory was uh, a man named Nate Saint, who was also killed along with the other four of them. And uh, so even in that story, aviation played such a key part um, in in reaching the Alka. And if you know, the end of the story is that the, the Alka uh, eventually received the gospel um, and have received God's word in their own language and they have a community that's been absolutely transformed mm. by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise Where God. In the time when Jim Elliott and uh, his other missionaries went in, you know, the leading cause of death for men in that community was murder. And now it just essentially doesn't happen. Wow. And we saw this same pattern repeated on the opposite side of the world, on the island of New Guinea, where we served um, on the Indonesian half called Papua. And as if you can imagine a place so remote that coming into the beginning part of this century, there were still a handful of people groups who had been completely uncontacted, wow. um, living as they had for millennia, and didn't know that you know they were part of a greater world and that there were other people living out there. And, and actually, in the year 2000, I had the opportunity to go in um, and make first contact uh, with a people group called the Moy who hadn't had uh, prior contact with the outside world. And my job on the team was just to help these missionaries locate an area in this valley uh, where they might be able to put a, a, an airstrip so that their ministry could flourish in that area. But uh, we went in initially on helicopter and just dropped out of the sky in a helicopter. And that was a uh, <laughs> wow. story, of course, told in the book, but it was it's one of the highlights of my life. Um to be part of of making you know first contact with a completely uncontacted uh, people group, but then if you follow the stories through the book, you you watch what what God does um, through through these these missionaries and and really just through the profounding life changing mm-hmm. power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I can tell one quick story, sure. you know, right after. We dropped in on the helicopter. We made first contact and uh, spent the night. The next day, we went to, uh, using the helicopter, went to look at a site that was on a ridge line. No, no hamlets, no huts anywhere close to it. And uh, long story short, um, the others with me had, had blazed a trail ahead uh, through the, the virgin rainforest 
and were out of sight and I couldn't even hear them. And I was standing in a clearing trying to get a fix on my handheld GPS because I had a little hole in the canopy above me and I told them to go on ahead and had one of those sensations of, of, uh, of not being alone and the hair on the back of my head, uh, went up. Uh, and I turned around and standing three feet behind me was, uh, a Moy man, um, basically, you know, naked and, and armed to the teeth. Um, and I had learned the greeting. And so I'm staring in this guy's eyes and I held out my hand and said, Ababa, which is the greeting. And he held out his hand and he said, Ababa. <laughs> And that was the extent of my knowledge of the Moy language. Wow. Um, and what I didn't know then was I, I was I was staring into the eyes of a killer, and uh, he would he would kill again. Mm. But what I also didn't know is this man who I met on that isolated ridge. I was the first outsider he had ever seen. I was the first white man he had ever seen. Wow. He would become the first believer amongst the Moy people group. And later on, I watched this man. Um, he, I have pictures of him from that day, and you, you'll just see a sense of darkness and anger and rage uh, in his countenance. And then I show you pictures of him, you know, uh, 15 years later. Um, and just the difference in the face and the countenance is just remarkable. Wow. And he turned from a man of violence into a man of prayer, a man of peace. Um, and, uh, you know, there was times when I remember doing a medevac out of and the stories in the book as well. Of, uh, one of the chief's wives in that village then was, was sick and we we're going to do a medevac. So I'm busy getting her into the airplane, taking care of it, about ready to jump back in and, and leave. And I look around one side of the airplane and there's Piatto, this guy that I met on that ridge, this killer. And he's got his head bowed, and he's praying for this woman who's so desperately ill. And here I was, I'm the professional Christian, right? I'm the missionary, and I'd completely, I'm busy doing my job, completely forgot to pray for her. And here this man knew that the most important thing that any of us could be doing right then would be praying for this woman. Mm. And culturally, he had absolutely zero obligation to care a whit for this woman and women in that culture were uh, just a, a much lower status uh, than the men. And so you're seeing the transformation of not just an individual, but an entire culture to where women are now valued, that, that a man who's not her husband is willing to bow his head and pray for her. It was such a remarkable picture of the gospel. That's just that's such a great story and the impact of the love of Christ. And also it started with you. Uh, Nate, taking that step of faith, and that was a risk, even though you may not have known the, f the full extent of that risk. But uh, praise God for your stories, and they're in the book, Airborne at the End of the Earth. I've got to ask you about the chapter called Boxes, and it starts on page 69, chapter 14. There's uh, Thank you for putting pictures also. There's some really great pictures throughout the book that uh, just not just of you, people you visit, places you've gone, airplanes, helicopters, jungles. And um, there's one section there on page, let's see, 70, 71, 72, 73. There's a man, Zeth Nebial. You can correct me if I said that wrong. There's a picture of yeah. him unloading cargo from a small plane, and it says he chokes up unloading the precious cargo in Langda, the scriptures in his own Una or Una language. And then you flip the page over, and there's a picture of him embracing the Bible. And uh, we just do not understand that with several Bibles in every home, in most homes in America. And you say under the caption, as long as I live, I will never forget this moment. Some of them are holding their Bibles up in the air, Bibles in their own language for the very first time, and this man, Zeth, is clutching treasure to his chest, and it is the Word of God. Share a little bit more about that story. Yeah, you know, at, at that time, I'd probably been part of Wycliffe Bible Translators for 15, 20 years. I, I can't remember the exact amount, but I'd, and I'd grown up in the organization, and so, you know, I, I've given my life 
uh, along with so many of my colleagues, uh, to seeing moments like this happen. And yet still the, the concept of going from not having God's word in your own language to having it, I, I still didn't just didn't connect with how much it meant for these people. Mm. And, and those pictures tell the story. And actually, if you come to the Jars Center now, um, the picture of, of Seth clutching that, those scriptures to his chest hangs in our foyer. Um, and it just describes what we're all about. But I, I just, I actually was trying to take those pictures and there's several that I missed because I just had to turn away and I just wept because um, it just struck me again that the Word of God um, has the power to transform people's lives and communities' lives. And Seth knew that, and he knew it at a level that I didn't, because I had, from the t- earliest memories, I've had access to God's Word um, in my own language, in the language that speaks right to my heart. Mm. He hadn't. He'd grown up literally in the Stone Age, in a completely animistic culture, um, uh, dominated by fear of the evil spirit world around them and Mm. of fear of their physical enemies. And uh, he had been ushered into the light. His community had been ushered into the light. And and now his community has the light going forward to guide them. Mm. Um, Like William Cameron Townsend said, there's no better missionary than the Bible, and it doesn't need a day off, it doesn't need to go home for a furlough, it doesn't get malaria, um, it, and it stays, and its presence can continue to transform generation after generation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, those, um, the, the interesting thing, you, you, you mentioned this story, the book that he's clutching to his chest is the New Testament. Wow. Um, a month ago, they just finished the shorter Old Testament, so about 50% of the Old Testament. And the scenes, I've got pictures, were similar um, of them taking the Old Testament up there. And so now these people who are living in one of the most isolated valleys on, on the planet are able to read, you know, the wisdom of Solomon in, in the Proverbs, and they're able to to just enjoy the, the beauty and the... And the profundity mm. of the Psalms uh, in the Una language. Mm. And uh, so the, their riches are, are continuing thank, uh, thanks to people who have, have literally thrown their lives away to live in yes. very isolated places yes. and translate God's Word for people like the Una. Praise God. Five minutes left, Nate, and I, I definitely at the end I want to give an opportunity for people to connect with uh, JARS and find out how they can uh, get involved, how they can support it. And I just want to read, and I, I got teared up just uh, reading this. Um, I just want to share the very end of that chapter and and then allow you to talk about the joyous procession from the airstrip up to the church in Langda. And uh, what we would look at them, and I don't know if native is the right word, primitive, um, and it's just amazing. They're all they're excited to have the Word of God. And I just think in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God from the Gospel of John. But you write, I was trying to photograph the moment, but it will live only in my memory. I had to turn and walk away. Moments later, my composure regained. I returned to see Zeth and others clutching these books to their chests as though someone had just given them a gift they'd never, ever dared hope for. And then I want to... Go down to the bottom, last couple, last two sentences in that chapter. I glimpsed heaven in the Langda Valley that day, and I'll remember those moments for as long as I live. I have an unpayable debt to those who sent us there to the very end of the earth to be part of this. We have given nothing and gained everything. Nate, share your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I think that when we as followers of Jesus Christ hear his call on our lives to do something difficult and it might be just go love on a stranger today or it might be something like give your life um, to move overseas and help people get the word of God in their own language. I think we look at those and we see sacrifice 
Um, I know I did, and um, I went as a missionary with a mix of of, uh, motivations, some of them pure, some of them not so pure. And what I found is that when you really follow Jesus off of your own path and onto his path, um, while the sacrifices may actually be there, they soon just pale in comparison to the riches that you find uh, when you fully submitted to Christ. And that's what I was writing about there is we have given nothing and gained everything. I mean, I, you know, just as you read those, I was taken right back to that, that uh, cloudy hillside on that day. And that sense of made my whole life worth it. Um, And um, so that'd be a challenge to all of us is um, I think our own intellects and the the powers, uh, the evil powers that reign in this world will deceive us into thinking that um, we're, we're losing out by not fully committing to Christ and by not fully submitting to him and following him in whatever ways he's asking us to. Mm. And that's actually a lie. Uh, we're missing out when we don't lay down our lives um, and give them to the Lord. And, and the riches that we're missing out on are just, that you just, you know, I remember Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs the mile. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. And what is unseen is eternal. And that's our challenge, to fix our eyes on what is unseen, because it is eternal. So, Nate Gordon, the book is called Airborne at the End of the Earth. I've got a couple of flyers here about making Bible translation possible. JARS, J-A-A-R-S, dot org, and missions teams. Um, what's the best way for people to get information? Is it just go to the JARS website? Yep. And we, we have lots of ways to get involved, from uh, volunteering to mission teams to uh, giving, obviously. Um, and I think about, I'm going to get the number wrong, but a fairly significant percentage of um, our workforce are people who come down and volunteer here at our center just south of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, Great. love to see more people involved. Great. And the book is on Amazon. It's also on, available through the JARS site? Uh, no, it's uh, not available through JARS, but it's available, like you said, on Amazon okay. or airborne.wanderprone.com. Okay, thank you, Nate. God bless you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I was choked up a couple times during that interview. Um, and part of it is because of the pictures in the book. Um, as Nate was telling his story and underneath one of the pictures saying, this is something I, I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, it's, it's so hard now to transition to n- not other topics that are meaningless because these impact us in our lives and our freedom in America. But in the in God's picture, in the big picture, in terms of eternity, we're talking about reaching people going to the ends of the earth. And didn't Jesus say, go into all the world. And we're talking about a way that, that you can contribute to doing that. So I just, I know we are listener supported. We run off uh, donations, uh, but we want to encourage you to check out jars, J-A-A-R-S dot O-R-G and uh, make Bible translation possible. I just can't imagine being there the moment that a tribal group somewhere in a secluded place in the world receives the first shipment of the Word of God that they can read in their language. So I just want you to think about that uh, for a minute. But And I also am led to share another quote by Jim Elliott. He said, um, Always seek peace between your heart and God. But in this world, always be careful to remain ever restless, never satisfied, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that was Jim Elliott, and you can look up his story if you're not familiar. So one more point in the book I want to talk about before we get into some of the other issues that are affecting Christians in America and around the world, North America, I should say. Um, There's a chapter called 
isn't this worshiping God? And there's a quote by Elizabeth Elliot that says, God has so arranged the world that work is necessary, and he gives us hands and strength to do it. So there's a picture in that book of these chiefs from the FAYU, I believe it's FAYU uh, people, the chiefs of this tribe that were praying for, I believe, one of the aviators, one of the pilots, one of those working with jars, and um, apparently he got injured. And I'm just reading the very end, looking at the picture, and he's strapped on this stretcher. His name is Jerry, and he's in this little tiny, tiny plane. And there are a couple of the Fayu chiefs praying for this man named Jerry Reeder. And um, it's just an amazing story in this chapter as the Fayu chiefs are praying for him and talking about Here's how the chapter ends. I just want to share that with you. If I can, if I can get the page here, it says, um, "Nate, I'm so glad to see you. Yesterday, I thought I lost Jerry. He was totally unresponsive. We get Jerry on the stretcher, and the Fayu chiefs pray for him. Four days later, I saw Jerry again. This time, he was 100% vertical. Apparently, God listens to Fayu chiefs." And that's how the chapter ends. And it's a very, again, these chapters, are like three pages, two, three pages, very brief. But just to see the pictures with that, it's very impactful, friends. And it'll just give you more of a worldwide scope of people that need to be reached and the heart of God to reach every, whosoever will come to him and, and repent and believe. So again, that, that book, I just want to mention it again, Airborne at the End of the Earth. And we link to it today in the podcast at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Okay, now transitioning in the last 10 minutes of the podcast, I want to share some good news. Uh, over at Harbinger's Daily, the word of God was not silenced here, is the headline. Over uh, Calvary Chapel San Jose wins no contempt charges or fines. Just to uh, refresh your memory, we've had Pastor Tim Stevens on up in Alberta. We've had uh, Pastor James Coates on, I believe, up in Calgary, pastors that were sent to prison, one arrested in front of his children. Why? In his driveway of his own home for keeping his church open against the Canadian government who were discriminating against churches and Christians when other things were open and allowed to function. Anyway, so this happened in California a year ago. Calvary Chapel San Jose, the most persecuted church in America uh, under covid the officials, the emperor, Newsom out there, state and local officials, every trick in the book unsuccessfully to force this church to shut its doors. <laughs> we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I believe that's Hebrews 10, 24, 23, 24, 25 in, the, in there. That's our instruction from God's word. Meet, encourage, disciple, get equipped, and then go out into the culture. But anyway, the harassment continued uh, even after the su Supreme Court ruled twice in the church's favor, just Monday of this week, the California Court of Appeals um, hopefully ended the crusade, ruling in favor of Calvary Chapel San Jose and its pastor, Mike McClure, in three separate cases. So that's all I'll say about that. Good news, because we must all look at Acts 529 in a new way now since COVID. B.C., before COVID, we didn't have to think about it this way when, in terms of government telling the church what to do, how to worship, when it could worship, worship, if it could worship. But now, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And I give a lot of credit to these churches that did so, especially in a dark blue state like California. Um, so kudos. So the lot, uh, lawsuits are being won on the side of religious freedom. There is good news out there. there th these are things we need to look at and go, okay, great, because not if, but when the next crisis is either manufactured by the globalists and socialists and Marxists in America or promoted by the World Economic Forum or our own government, we know that church, we have a responsibility to stand up. The word of God must not be silenced, suppressed, um, or censored. Now, on to the next story. Before we actually mention the IRS again in this update, 
Um, I just want to say I don't watch as much Fox News as I used to because they are certainly not a Christian <laughs> outlet. They are not even, I would say, a conservative outlet. What what The reason people think Fox News is conservative is because more often than not, they give both sides the opportunity to talk about an issue or a debate politically, uh, uh, in government, in education, spiritually. Well, not, they don't talk about theological issues much, right? But let's just take politics and culture. They usually have someone from the left and someone from the right, usually. Now, the Marxist media outlets and the communist outlets and cable news will not give Christians or conservatives the other the opportunity to share their side. If they do, they'll interrupt you a couple seconds in and you won't get to talk. I've seen that so many times. They interrupt you. They shout you down. Um, so that's not giving, <laughs> allowing both sides. Fox News does that. More often than not, they do that. But let me just say, they've, they've, um, backed the LGBTQ for quite some time. They back a lot of things that most Christians would not be in favor of or support. And the Bible doesn't either. But they've got people like Tucker Carlson on there. And I'm not putting him up on a pedestal, but I will say he's probably one of the bravest men in media to still do what he does. And the, he, I mean, last night or the night before, he was talking about the FBI and the IRS. And this is truthful stuff that you will not hear in most media outlets. And he's just, his monologues in the last couple of weeks have been excellent. And I encourage you to, to get the truth, whether it's Tucker Carlson or some other conservative outlet. I'm not saying Fox News is conservative. Go to other outlets where you know you can get the whole picture. Be careful the media you take in. That's why we have at StandUpForTheTruth.com over 200 resources that you can trust from news to commentary to teachings to pastors to churches. And look at that again on our website. So now the IRS, what I didn't talk about on Tuesday when we did our show, and I don't remember what what the show was called, um, IRS attacks on conservatives, and we called it weapons of mass distraction. Because they use these things, this massive socialist spending plan that the Democrats unleashed on America, as a smokescreen. They use it as a smokescreen because they're always doing something else with the other hand. Midterm elections are coming up, friends. I can't encourage you enough to be grounded in the truth of God's word and then informed with the right information from the right outlets. So back to what I didn't share on the IRS, major duties, and this was an ad for employees, new employees, a recruiting ad, so to speak, for the IRS. It included this. Now, not all IRS officials are going to be in this camp, but there's five bullet points some of you have seen. We alluded to it, but we didn't read these off on Tuesday. Major duties of IRS Employees adhere to the highest standards of conduct, especially in maintaining honesty and integrity. We would be 100% behind that if every government agency would have this <laughs> as their vision, uh, right? Highest standards of conduct, especially maintaining honesty and integrity. Next, work a minimum of 50 hours a week, which may include irregular hours. Be on call 24-7, including holidays and weekends. Okay, whatever. Next, maintain a level of fitness necessary to effectively respond to life-threatening situations on the job. What the heck is that? So we're not talking about your basic accountant coming to do your taxes here or to see if you've gone by the rules um, in filing your taxes. Effectively responding to life-threatening situations? Well, what does that mean? Well, the two next bullet points will clarify for IRS recruiting. Major duties. Number four, carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary. The IRS. Number five bullet point, be willing and able to participate in arrests, execution of search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. Now, I believe when this was first put out, I'm not sure if it's still available online, but we've got a snapshot, a screenshot of it, and a lot of media outlets, conservative or truthful, unbiased media outlets reported on it. And so what are they doing? They're weaponizing, some might call it militarizing the IRS. Why? Well, I want to go back 
to this bill that the Democrat socialists passed in Washington, and it increases green energy subsidies, of course. It helps Planned Parenthood and, and uh, abortion. Uh, it expands the IRS, and um, it authorizes $430 billion in new spending. But the IRS part of it, they're planning on hiring 87,000 additional IRS agents. That's more than they have now. I believe they have 70-some thousand. They're hiring more, so they're more than doubling the size, scope, power of the IRS to conduct audits and do what I just described, perhaps. Search warrants, carry a firearm, being trained, use deadly force? What's that about? So we already know there are double standards in America. Um, I think that under the definition in the dictionary now of double standard or hypocrisy, there's a picture of Hunter Biden, um, Hillary Clinton, and others. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Not about the point, but of their pictures being there. So let's go to how the IRS has reacted in the past. In the last a couple minutes, just briefly, um, going back to the Obama-Biden years. Remember, Biden was part of the Obama-Biden administration. And the Justice Department used the IRS as a bully pulpit to punish their opposition. Who? Christians, conservatives, independents even, and Republicans. And there's documented discrimination. They've... They shut down the opportunity for Christian and Republican or nonprofit groups to get nonprofit status. I remember they were discriminating even against Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's organization, but they were weaponizing the IRS. They were auditing conservative groups 10 times more than the average person. And this is documented again, friends. Um, one takeaway from that time, just so we know what may happen down the road. Out of all the groups that the IRS selected for audit during that time, ready? 100% of them were conservative. That's This is not a coincidence or it's not a, well, you're exaggerating. No, you're being naive. Stop living in denial. If you're thinking that, right? Because this is all documented now, friends, for those who are informed. Another takeaway from the IRS corruption at that time, 83% of the nonprofit groups that they targeted and flagged for surveillance were conservative. And there were hundreds of groups they were holding up. They were put on hold instead of giving them their nonprofit status so they could campaign for conservative or Republican candidates. So it even affected elections. So we put an article up, and it's at Harbinger's Daily. Uh, they picked up the article that I wrote this week, and it's on the IRS. And it's called uh, Morally Superior, Democrats Pass Bill Doubling IRS Power. And you can get that again at harbingersdaily.com. Guys, uh, just keep up with everything, but you don't have to know everything or be informed about every detail. Get enough information, but stay in the Word and keep your focus, seeking first the kingdom of God. That's my unsolicited advice <laughs> to Bible-believing Christians. But thanks for listening. Uh, tomorrow I've got a, another new guest. His name is Joel Veldkamp with Christian Solidarity International. We'll talk about that. We've got some great guests next week. J.B. Hickson, Alex Newman, Billy Crone, Jack Hibbs. Also, the following week, Laura Perry, former transgender, Doreen Virtue, Pastor James Coates, John Haller. What a packed schedule. You can look at upcoming at standupforthetruth.com. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.